Nah. Yeah, he's gonna co- he'll he's be in our podcast. I Can you imagine if he was on our podcast what that would sound like? General Patton <laughs> on Horror Movie Survival Guide. This is gonna be the good beginning of the episode because gonna- <laughs> Wow, that's crazy. Just that- like George C. Scott playing Patton. Oh my oh. god. That would be so good. I'd be like, I loved when you cried that one time. What? (laughs) Nothing? Um. Horror Movie Survival Guide is a weekly podcast where two unlikely gore hounds delve into our horror movie notebook from college, in which we meticulously kept track of every film we watched in the horror movie section of our local video store in our quest to learn how to survive and to ensure we end up as As the the final final girl. girl. Join Julia and Marion as we revisit the classic and obscure horror VHS we viewed and logged in our notebook, breaking each movie down one by one, geeking out over all the ghastly minutia, and ultimately illuminating the path to survival. So, hi. Are we recording? Oh, we're wrong. Oh, okay. Okay. Welcome to Horror Movie Survival Guide. Hey, guys. My voice broke. <laughs> Just from excitement? I sound like a 13-year-old boy. <laughs> Welcome to Horror Movie Survival Guide. <laughs> this is episode 27, uh, entitled, It's Got a Death Curse, because we're talking about... 1980s, Friday the 13th. Do it. <laughs> Thank you. All right, that's perfect. Yay. So, hey guys, I'm Marion. I'm Julia. Uh, we are Horror Movie Survival Guide. We are the first podcast from Indie Popcorn recording at the circus. Yeah. There's elephants, popcorn, oh, clowns. You guys don't even know what goes on There's in here. It's just crazy. It's, it's just, all around. We barely managed to eat this podcast out in between. <laughs> what? <laughs> between eek. all the. Oh, you said eek. <laughs> what did you think I said? Eat. Eat? Eat this podcast? Out. Really? Really? I feel like we've known each other for a while, and I can't believe that that's... I know! It, like, destroyed my brain. It's like Mary couldn't have said that. And she didn't, she didn't say and that. And she didn't. She definitely didn't. Okay. Um, are you good? I'm good. Okay. No. no? All right. Sorry, guys. I mean, if you're driving right now, you might as well just... I had too just... much coffee. I'm all, like, jacked up. You had, like, three sips. I know. We got fancy coffee before we, got... we did this episode. <laughs> sorry, guys. We did. So, Friday the 13th is uh, a great movie. <laughs> it begins one of, like, the just long, lengthiest franchises in horror movie history. Which surprised all of its filmmakers to no end. They're like, really? Everyone. This one? Yeah. Okay, guys. Nobody called that. Because they basically just were trying to do Halloween just like they'd well, seen Halloween there's like oh we could do that and also you would not just from this movie there is just no indication of like where this ultimately ends up right because um again coming to these things very late as I did I was really surprised by this movie yeah. because I was like all right Friday the 13th first Jason movie like hockey mask right. I've Jason I've, Voorhees we I know have, this guy I've heard of this person I don't understand the hockey mask or the machete or the camp counselor stuff but let's do this thing and then uh p.s guys there's gonna be a lot of spoilers in this um this movie was is not what i thought it was going to be so speaking of spoilers then did scream ruin this movie for you because one of the questions he asks casey in the beginning is who's the killer in friday the 13th and she says jason he says you're wrong it's the mom i think i just like block that out like i don't think i really understood it and i don't think i understood whether or not that was the truth or whether that was just like something in movie lore because again it's like to go back and watch scream after doing all this stuff with you totally different experience but at the time like i didn't get any of the references or any of the like i didn't get that i'm like 
Mrs. Vo- okay, maybe that's a made up thing, but no, it's not a made up thing. Like that is this movie. That is this movie. Um, so the tagline for this movie, which I'm going to say because it's going to come around to a big point in this podcast uh, okay. today. Uh, so the tagline is, they were warned, they are doomed, and on Friday the 13th, nothing will save them. Now, mm-hmm. this is interesting that this is the tagline for this movie because okay. you and I talk about a character stereotype that comes up in horror movies a lot, uh-huh. which is Crazy Ralph. Right. Now, the Crazy Ralph character is comes from Friday the 13th. Mm-hmm. So the Crazy Ralph is this guy who shows up twice in the film mm-hmm. to specifically tell the characters they're doomed, they're going to die. Right. Tells them straight out. Mm-hmm. In fact, my favorite quote from this film is from Crazy Ralph, uh-huh. which we might as well just get out of the way because we're talking about him now. Sure. So he, he this is what Ralph says. So he just looks like an insane bum. Like he looks <laughs> like he's like drunk and yeah. you, not someone you want to talk to. And he has crazy voice, you know, that kind of yeah. voice where they're just like, you don't understand. It's crazy. Like you the know? cop says he's crazy. All the town folks are like, ah, oh, Crazy Ralph, who uh, rides the bike, which I think is delightful that he rides a bike. Uh-huh. Also, they mentioned he has a wife. You're like, oh, they oh, come yeah, looking I for Ralph. They're like, that. oh, his wife's worried. I'm like, he has that's a wife. Not, that's okay. not accurate. But There's Ralph no says, way. I'm a messenger of God. You're doomed if you stay here. This place is cursed, cursed. If you, It's got a death curse. This place is cursed, cursed. God sent me. I got to warn you. You're doomed if you stay. Go. So what, what do we make about this? So, so, so <sighs> the tagline of this film is they were warned they are doomed. Mm-hmm. So they're talking about Crazy Ralph has warned them that they are doomed. Right. So like in... I feel like he's like a bigger thing in this film than than he should because like he's the one who's telling them he says he's a messenger of God mm-hmm. and he's telling them the truth mm-hmm. and the whole like movie campaign is about like Crazy Ralph warning them mm-hmm. so like what if this movie is like really about Crazy Ralph uh huh and like he's trying to tell them and they won't listen and he was totally right yes but I think. The question is, is Crazy Ralph crazy because of the events that have happened and he can see it coming and he understands and nobody believes him? Or was he just already crazy and he happens to live next to a camp where teenagers are routinely murdered every 10 years or so? And so this is sort of like the thing that he's picked to be crazy about. Right. You know, it's like, I feel like every crazy person has the thing that they choose to obsess about, whether it's like the government is listening or such, you know, this thing didn't really happen or Elvis is still alive or whatever. Um, so I kind of feel like because I think crazy Ralph is crazy. I think, I think it's both things. I think he's crazy and he's actually hundred percent accurate about this camp. Um, but I think it's because it's both things. He's also crazy and it has nothing to do with the movie I kind of feel like Mrs. Voorhees is sort of more of our this is what that is who this movie is really about I just I would like to look at this film I looked at I tried to look at this film for this this last time as an angle of like what if Crazy Ralph really is a messenger from God Uh uh-huh like how would that feel if you're a messenger from God and you're trying to tell people and they won't listen to you sure probably God should pick better messengers because I feel like you know that's the and I understand that's completely like where this trope comes from is like the reason people don't believe crazy Ralph is because they look and sound bonkers right um but but, maybe a horror movie survival guide tip is we always say you should listen to the crazy Ralph right because it comes up again and again where you have these characters that are mm-hmm. drunk or they are insane or right. they're like someone you wouldn't ever listen to, sure. but they're telling you the truth. I will say, I think you should listen to Crazy Ralph if you have some like evidentiary backup. But they never do. But they do in this case because I feel like the driver... Okay, so just quickly to jump into this thing. Um, 
the plot of this movie basically is, you know, Camp Crystal Lake is, it starts in 1958 and, you know, a couple of teenagers are, uh, singing around a campfire and eventually go off to do it. And then they're, you know, murdered by an unseen entity and, you know, and then it flashes forward and there is a new group of teenagers and it takes place in the modern age. Can I just break in about, uh, the, uh, I'm sorry, I got really excited about the crazy Ralph. No, no, I know we should totally go with that thread. I'm down. Um, But I just want to say that I love the, the title sequence of this Uh because you have, uh, the killer coming in. This is from the flashback to 1958 where right. it starts. And you have the killer coming in to get the girl. You get the girl's face screaming. You get a zoom in on the girl's face with a freeze frame. Oh, and that goes to white? Fades to white. Yep. And then the front of the trade logo comes like flying at you. Right. Breaks the glass yeah. of the screen. <laughs> It's great. <laughs> it's pretty great. Um, but so then you have sort of, then it says, you know, modern, you know, present day, which is in this case, 1980. Um, and you have, you know, our sort of plucky young kind of camp counselors She's all kind plucky. of, she, I mean, geez, like what's her name? Annie. Annie. Like the perkiest, pluckiest thing that ever existed um, kind of comes in. And she's trying to get a ride to Camp Crystal Lake because she's been hired to be the cook there. And she does get a ride from this truck driver who does nothing but warn her. Like immediately mm-hmm. she gets into the truck to go with him and he's like, quit, quit, don't do it. Like, And he tells her about the murders. And I think it's, if that, if like that is happening and Crazy Ralph is warning you between the two... That's pretty much like horror movie survival guide 101. It's, it's otherwise it's just foolish. But I feel like if there's no proof or nothing suspicious happens and Crazy Ralph shows up, I don't think it's too crazy to ignore him. Right. I mean, I don't know if you can just go on Crazy Ralph alone. I guess we always, you know, we also have to realize like we don't hear the score in, you know, if you're in the, they don't hear mm-hmm. the score. Mm-hmm. So like we hear it and we're like, oh, creepy. Something mm-hmm. creepy's happening. Yeah. That person's creepy. Yeah. And we don't hear that, you know, mm-hmm. like, so I, th- I think that that's part of it. Yeah. It's like, if you're in like a normal situation, you're like, hey, I'm just getting a ride to the thing and it's mm-hmm. fine. And then all of a sudden it turns terribly wrong. And yeah. Well, and I think also too, the, the beginning of this movie, when they have like the showing the murders of the two camp counselors in the 1950s, that's the beginning of where we hear the score of right. this movie, which is what it's so famous for that kind of, you know. So here's what I want to ask about that score because okay. the score is fantastic. Mm-hmm. I really love it. I think it's like one of the most iconic horror movie scores out there. Yeah. But uh, so we talked about House last week. Mm-hmm. Same guy did the score. Right. And we hated that score. Like right. that score is one of like, I don't, when do I ever listen to like really feel like adamantly one way or another about a score? Right. And the, like, the score for House ruins that movie. Mm-hmm. How is that possible from the same guy? Well, I mean, I guess you could kind of say in one instance he was trying to I think he was using the score to really showcase the comedy part of horror comedy. And I think in this case, he was definitely given, you know, you have to make a score to just make it scarier, right. nine times scarier, 20 times scarier. Like and just, it does. You know, and he does. And and because it does sound so strange, that kind of like repetition. And um, I honestly feel the score makes this movie way more scary than I think it actually is. Okay. Um, and I kind of feel like this is definitely one of those movies where if you eliminated that score, especially from the beginning, mm-hmm. um, I don't know, you know, I don't know how actually genuinely scary I would find this until the end, Mm -hmm. the end I give this movie, but like up until then, I think the score is really like doing a lot of the leg, the heavy lifting of this movie. Okay. I think Um, that's valid. Yeah. So, um, so, so yes, we meet Annie and she's kind of on her way to, uh, you know, again, the perkiest thing in the entire world, um, is on her way, uh, to Camp Crystal Lake. We meet the other characters, uh, Jack, Ned, and Marcy, who are also on their way. Jack, played by Kevin Bacon, who um, I, I read on the internet, so it must be true, uh-huh. uh, has played the character named Jack six times. 
Now that I think of it, I think that's probably true. He's, he's Jack a lot. He looks like a Jack. He does look like a Jack. He does look like a Jack, yeah. So he comes along, and then we also meet um, Alice, our girl, um, final girl, our final girl, um, and their boss, Steve Christie. Um, and the first time we see Steve Christie, he is in, uh, he's chopping wood. Or no, I'm sorry, he's trying to remove a tree stump. And but he, he does an axe chopping wood. Yeah, that's true. Um, and he is wearing these tight cut-off jean shorts. He has this like Tom Selleck mustache, mm-hmm. these eighties glasses, and he has no shirt on and this like little kind of red kerchief around his neck. And I'm a little confused by the Steve Christie character because they sort of imply that perhaps something was happening between him and Alice before everyone else got there. But I just find the actor who plays Steve Christie kind of really creepy. And I don't know if it's just like a like a generational thing, like in 1980, this is an extremely attractive, but like he's sort of mentioning to Alice how pretty she is and he, she painted him or she drew him and he touches her cheek and the whole time just like, and I kind of thought like, oh, this must be the red herring. But the way that Alice reacts to him is sort of like, not so bad, kind of attractive. And so I'm confused if Steve is meant to be a red herring in this movie. I think he is. He is. I think think he is because he's so much older than everybody else. I think it is supposed to be like, uh, maybe he, he, you know, he kind of disappears and like, where is he? And like, maybe he's doing these things because he's not here, but where did he really go? Okay. Um, but then Alice also seems to be getting it on with, uh, Bill. Because he kiss, she kiss, yeah. he kisses her on the cheek later too. So uh-huh. maybe maybe Alice gets around. I, I mean, maybe <laughs> she Alice does drink uh, beer and smoke pot. So and play strip monopoly and play strip monopoly. So maybe Alice is like one of the like very few bad girls who can like sleep around, yeah. do some drugs, right, and but, be fine. But I feel like in the realm of bad girls within this movie, she's still pretty much like the nicest one. That's so funny though. Like that, how like she she could be like doing she just is going to be the good girl no matter what like she could be doing anything and she still looks like peachy keen like yeah. little angel doing i mean that's kind of the deal and again i i do think it's interesting because when we first meet um annie in this movie she's the first one that we meet so we kind of think she's our girl mm-hmm. um except this movie does a kind of like psycho janet lee kind of thing where um before she even gets to the camp she hitchhikes again and gets a different ride and we don't see who exactly picks her up, but she's there, they're just like, you know, chatting on and on. And then, uh, the person won't let her out and, you know, passes up the camp and she has to jump out of the car and there's a chase of the woods and all that kind of stuff. And a really great, uh, throat slitting. Which I think also does a fade to white. I it think does. after she, yeah. the, it does it several times in this film. I really like it. What is that about? I don't know. I like the. I love the fade to white. I mm-hmm. I noticed it very much during this time, uh-huh. and I love all the slow motion in this film. There's yeah. a lot of slow motion, especially I, just before a kill is about mm-hmm. to happen. And it's that's just part because you're like, I want to like stretch this bit out because this is the best bit. So you just literally stretch that bit out. I also noticed that. Did you notice that like all of Annie's lines are dubbed? Oh. No, I didn't notice that. Like, yeah, next time you watch it, like everything that every time where she's just, cause, especially because she talks so much, she just mm-hmm. goes on and on. Everything is dubbed that she says. And I don't really know what that's about either. Interesting. Yeah. Um, the throat slitting uh, is so good, obviously, because we have Tom Savini, who uh, yeah. everyone knows and loves in the makeup world as one of the best horror mm-hmm. makeup guys there is doing some, a lot of throat slitting in this movie. Yeah. And I will say that this movie very much is, has all these kind of like, ubiquitous tropes of slasher films i mean it's like couples going off so much stalker cam Mm -hmm. so much like of the couple that you know is just gotten together the guy has to die first and then the girl will die lots of prolonged stalking and lots of like just kind of people just doing business 
Right. You know, just to kind of pad out like, oh, you know, before they open a door or before they hear something outside the window or before, you know, I feel mm-hmm. like this, like everything that we ever get from the slasher genre totally comes from this movie. And I know definitely Halloween is between the two of them. These movies set up all those moments that are then repeated for like the next 30 years. Right. So it's hard. It's hard to look at, you know, I think it's important to look at films like this because they are the ones that began it. And it's mm-hmm. something that now you you kind of brush off because yeah. you've seen it a thousand times. But in 1980, people hadn't seen that. Yeah. And like how influential it was yeah. to go through and, you know, yes, a billion sequels, but also like, mm-hmm. different, you know, it just a, a thousand ripoffs and all yeah. these different things that we know as the horror genre right. started with Friday the 13th. Thank you, Sean S. Cunningham. I know. Um, and I do, th- but I do think this movie also has a few little kind of unique gems in it. And one of them is that the characters who, you know, are all kind of, I don't know, sort of fairly interchangeable. No they, offense, they Mr. Try, Bacon. Though. They they do try a little bit, but they do that kind of this fun thing where there's a lot of sort of like old movie star impressions in this movie. Did you notice that? May there's West. A, there's a May West one. Because I think I l- there's like a Groucho one. Is there a Groucho I one? think someone does a Groucho. Um, and then just before uh, Kevin Bacon and his girlfriend, no, I'm sorry, after Kevin Bacon dies and Marcy, his, yeah, Marcy goes in the bathroom and fully does like a Catherine Hepburn impression. Can you do that for me? I'm not doing it. Okay. No, I'm not doing one. Um, hers is really good. Hers I, is good. Yeah, her, her, hers is good. But it's, uh, but I remember watching and being like, I, I'm probably correct in saying this is the only Catherine Hepburn impression in a horror movie. Probably, yeah, because that's not really like a go-to. No, May West, maybe. Sure, Groucho, probably. Yeah, but like, yeah, but Catherine Hepburn, like, that's a that's that's a choice. And I like that uh, the one of the he asks the Bay West line is Rocky Road, and she that mm-hmm. Ned, the goofy one, mm-hmm. asks what flavor of ice cream people think they would be. Uh huh. Which I enjoy. That's yeah, a kind of a ridiculous question. It is. Kind Can of I ask you that question? question? I really, I have a hard, I have a hard time distinguishing what I flavor of ice cream I really like versus what I would be. Right. I don't know. I feel like that's kind of like... Because I've thought about this question ever since I watched it. Have you? Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. I've, de- I've decided. Uh, I'm going to go with rum raisin because rum raisin is an ice cream flavor. That Isn't that a gross one? Nobody... Like you read about it in every book, for, like you hear about it in movies from the 70s uh-huh. and like you never ever see it anymore. And so it makes me kind of love it, even though I probably wouldn't like the way it tastes, but I, I like that it's obscure and weird. That's really funny. So there you go. Hmm. I feel like And our ha- producer is giving us a big thumbs up because he's going, yeah. <laughs> I feel like raisin. mine, I think mine would have like peanut butter in it or something. I feel like that's as far as I can get with this question. Okay. Um, so the other thing I kind of enjoy about this movie too, and another trope is that they definitely do that bit where somebody amongst the group fakes being hurt or what injured kind of or they do it every time that? every if time I was with, if, what if my friend seriously did that yeah I'd be like fuck off and he takes it really far so yeah. he i can't remember which one it is is it ned. bill or is it ned it's ned so ned is swimming out into camp crystal lake they have this they're all taking a break from putting the camp back together because the camp's going to open shortly so you know steve has enlisted all these people to be the counselors but also help him kind of prepare the camp. two weeks until the campers get there right and we this is p.s friday the 13th would this movie takes place on Friday, on Friday the, the 13th, 13th yeah. in case you were wondering. Right. If um, you didn't get it from the title. <laughs> Here we are explaining it. Um, mm-hmm. So, uh, but they take a break to go swimming. 
And there is some, I thought about you when, when Kevin Bacon shows up in his sweet Speedo. And yeah. I was like, well, that makes Julia happy. It sure does. Uh, <laughs> you betcha. Um, and then, yeah, uh, Ned, the jokester of the group, uh, swims out to Camp Crystal Lake pr- fairly far and pretends to start drowning. And his friends really do a lot to try and save him. Like they get a boat out, mm-hmm. like they swim, they grab him, they're, you know, drag him back to the dock and they're doing like mouth to mouth. And then all of a sudden he starts laughing. And I'm like, wow, that's, that's, you take that pretty far, Mm-mm. pretty far, Ned. Nope. I mean, fuck you, Ned. You're going to be killed in like two minutes, but yes, you anyway. Are. Um, but we do get to see Ned in a Indian headdress and a shirt tied around his waist, like yeah, some and sort then, of crazy diaper. And then they have a day of a scene that shows up, that happens where like a cop shows up to sort of be like, "What are you kids doing out here? Are you all getting high? Looking, like, what's going? Uh, yeah, I'm looking for crazy Ralph. Looking for crazy Ralph, like that whole thing." But basically, after that, in pretty quick succession, the kids start going one by one. I think Ned dies first. Uh, Marcy and Jack have sex. Uh, Jack gets the very famous arrow through right. his and they, throat from and, underneath the bed. Sorry. No. I was speaking over you and I shouldn't have spoken over no, you. No, no, no. Please. Go for it. The arrow through the throat. Mm-hmm. I was just going to mention that uh, Jack and Marcy are uh, are screwing beneath Ned's dead body. Yeah. They do a pan up to show you that. They do. Which is pretty nasty. Pretty gross. Um, I do wish that we got all of the kills in this film. That's my one beef. Because they a do. Lot, there's yeah. a lot of the like... <gasps> And then cut away. Yeah. And you get to see the dead body reveal later, but right. you're not. Because the, the effects that we do get when you do get to see the kills are mm-hmm. sweet. Yeah. Like the, you know, the arrow through the throat and the axe to the forehead. And right. like those are all amazing. Yeah. They, Tom Savini, of course. But maybe they're like saving it up a little bit. And maybe they don't I have think. the budget for everybody. I mean, fair play. Yeah. Because some people just kind of disappear and then you see their body just like kind of dead somewhere or hanging somewhere or whatever. So Steve Christie has kind of left our group by themselves. It has become nightfall. It starts raining. Mm-hmm. And yeah, basically everyone starts separating and, and uh, disappearing one by one. One of them that I really, and this is where this movie, the element of this movie that I do really like Um is one of the girls is lured out by the sound of a little boy. Yes. Hearing, help me, help me, over here, over here, oh, little boy or little girl. I think it's mm-hmm. a kind of unclear. And the girl goes out like, where are you? Where are you? Over here, over here. And Such a great lure. I'm like, oh. Because everybody w- would fall for it. I would definitely fall for that lure. Yeah. I'm like, that's a, that's a real solid lure. And it makes sense later when you kind of start realizing who our killer actually is. Because again, up until this point, you're seeing feet, you're seeing a hand, you know, it's very unclear like what exactly we're seeing. I think it's not really until Steve comes back and Alice and Bill are basically the only ones left alive. Um, Bill played by Bing Crosby's son. Mm -hmm. Did you read that? Mm -hmm. I thought that was so crazy. Um, Start kind of realizing everyone is missing. Alice being a very good final girl is like, let's get the hell out of here. This doesn't look good. I don't like it. Um, and uh, and Bill very much being like, I mean, it's fine. We'll all laugh about this tomorrow. I'm sure it'll all be great. Um, and he kind of sets about, you know, the car doesn't work and he's sort of trying to do busy work, or whatever. So Steve Christie comes back and he, we see kind of POV cam coming towards him, like our killer cam. And Steve recognizes the killer and is like, oh, hey, what are you doing here? Right. And then it's like axe to the face, um, and you know his dad, his dead body will spring up later. But that's kind of the beginning of like, oh, okay, whoever our killer is is someone when you first would see them in the woods, you wouldn't be like, Bleh. like it's right. not like a Michael Myers type figure, right? Which again, when I was watching this movie, I'm like Jason, Jason Voorhees, Friday the Thirteenth, Jason Voorhees. That's the deal. This is the deal. Um, and so it all kind of like you know, so you know, Bill kind of gets separated from Alice, and then he eventually dies, and. Alice finds his body and then she runs out of the house, out of the cabin screaming or sees like a, a light of like a car pull up and runs and out. She barricades herself in first. She does. Oh yeah. That great like rope 
Raptor, yeah. like, let's talk about that. Yeah, because Alice is a really good final girl. Because yeah. even though she's like freaking out, she still has her heads together. So she does. Uh, she runs back to like the little lodge, the counselor's lodge, mm-hmm. and uh, ties a rope around one of the uh, rafters, and mm-hmm. then ties it to the door so that nobody could open the door. Right, because the door is one of those ones that opens out. out. Yeah, so it's mm-hmm. not like so she barricades it, but yeah, she's hysterical. But she's like, <laughs> kind of looks around, sees the rafter, she grabs a, the rope around the door gets handle, gets a baseball bat, mm-hmm. like she's got, drags all the furniture mm-hmm. against the door. I'm like, well done, Alice, yeah. well done. Um, and then yeah, someone's body gets chucked through the window, and- which which is so. Alice goes in the kitchen, a body comes flying through the window, right. which is her friend Brenda, who totally moves completely moves when she goes through the window when she lands there's a shot of her laying there on the floor Uh and her head moves it's it's slight like in a uh, like in a body settling kind of way in a maybe still alive kind of way oh and alice doesn't react to it at all Mm. and she does it now i'm you know i'm this is minutia here so Uh let's talk about minutia but i i watched she does it twice her head moves really so like Brenda's totally still alive, and Alice does not help her. Oh, interesting. Okay, That's how so I you get. think she moves so much, it's beyond just like an actress error. It's if you like, if you if you go back and you pay attention to those okay. frames, you'll see that okay. like it's, it's a perceptible. Like if I was the director of that t- take, I would have been like, oh, okay, we have to do it again because right. you moved a hundred percent. But they uh-huh. didn't. How interesting. Okay, so maybe Brenda's just lying there dying, and Alice isn't helping her the whole time. Then? Yeah, because Brenda was the one who got lured out by that little right. voice, and then she lured out to the archery range. The lights come up, and then we don't see what happens to her mm-hmm. until her body comes back. So maybe hope for Brenda. But she also, if in a survival guide kind of way, if somebody's body gets thrown through the window, wouldn't you immediately look out the window to see who did it? Definitely not. No, no, a hundred percent. No, because like nothing. No, because that's like that. That's that's a one hundred and one rookie error, right? Because then you stick your head out to be like, where did the body come from? Axe head chop off. No, I like, don't. I don't mean it that way. I mean like now you know where the killer is. Because they've just thrown a body through the window. Sure. So what's the point of looking, putting your head out the window? Well, just... Like, you got it. All right. There he is, or she is. Yeah. Right? I guess so. You just want to double check? I don't know. So she goes... She, <laughs> she, sees, she sees some headlights, uh-huh. uh, and she goes uh, running out uh, to see who... She thinks it's Steve's truck, uh, sure. Jeep. Mm-hmm. But it's not Steve's Jeep. It is... No. dun dun dun, dun. Pamela Voorhees. Yeah, Mrs. Voorhees. So used this, to work for the Christies. There, it's, so it's this kind of sweet, middle-aged woman. With a turtleneck. With a turtleneck who seems pretty adorable. And so, of course, Alice sees this woman who's like, oh, my gosh, you need to help me. You know, Gives her a hug. This. Yeah, and she's like, calm down. Like, I'm an old friend of the Christies. What's going on? And she's like, they're all dead. It's like, okay, well, let's go in there. And she's all calm and it'll be okay and very soothing and whatever. And so she takes her inside, sees Brenda's body. And then the monologuing begins, like the the epic monologuing. And through the monologuing, you realize that the killer is totally Mrs. Voorhees. And she goes, and this is where I'm like, oh, okay, movie. Thing one, I was not expecting this. And thing two, how great is that? How mm-hmm. unusual is that for a killer? But the monologuing explains all. And she explains that um, her son, Jason, uh, was uh, a child at the camp. And the counselors were not paying attention to him. And he drowned in Camp Crystal Lake. And Friday the 13th is his birthday. Mm-hmm. And he was her only son. And basically he wants, she thinks he wants revenge on the people that killed him, basically. And as she's talking about this, you can just see Alice's face like, oh, no, oh, my gosh. Um, 
But, you know, and uh, Betsy Palmer is who plays um, Mrs. Voorhees. And, and, you know, to her credit, I mean, it is a kind of a very melodramatic kind of, you know, ridiculous, almost like a Bond villain kind of monologue where you just lay out your whole reason for existence. Uh Um, But I do, I feel like she does a pretty good job of making it pretty creepy. Yeah, they have, she has her Jason voice, which we get to hear her do. So they do, and the camera work on this is great too because they push in on like a really uncomfortably close close up of her face, yeah. where it's basically like eyebrows to like bottom of mouth. Yeah, and like the mouth is very prominent. It's very prominent. Mm-hmm. Killer mommy, killer! It's so good. And you realize that basically she was the one who was faking the voice that led Brenda out uh, to her death. And so this idea of this sort of like grieving insane mother stalking all of these teenagers sometimes using a dead child's voice to lure so them out sometimes she is jason is that right. what we're meant to believe i think so but also like there's obviously a level of manipulation because she's using the jason voice mm-hmm. to get the people out so she can kill right. them to- so it's it's a, it's few levels of madness it's um, a pretty good psychosis you know what i mean it's pretty good and so uh so you know obviously alice realizes what's going on and like an epic fight between mrs Voorhees and alice I mean, they're like fire pokers to each other. She, Alice um, hits her over the hits her with a base hits Mrs. Voorhees with a baseball bat, mm-hmm. and also there's lots of bitch slapping, lots of it. Yeah, which backhand, is, front hand, backhand, front hand, always fun. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, also, Alice hits Mrs. Voorhees over the head with a frying pan. Yeah, like a hardcore like right. cast iron, no joke. Frying pan. And I feel like Betsy Palmer does these great screams whenever she gets hit. She always like, sounds really so su- hard. surprised. But I also think, well, maybe it's that, but I also think it's one of those screams where it, she's so angry at being thwarted for doing the task that she set out to do. Right. Where she's like, no, you don't take this away from me. That kind of insane, like, anger scream. And that's Can I scary. ask a question about this, which I, which, uh-huh. I, which I thought about this time? So why does Mrs. Voorhees take the time to talk to Alice? Because she's just killed everybody so right. far. Even Steve Christie, who she knows. Right. And she's like laying out the monologue. So yes, we, the audience, understand what her motivation is. Sure. But as her character, why do that? Right. Why not just kill her with an axe to the forehead or whatever? Maybe because there's nobody, there's none of the people that she's killed so far that understands why they have to die. And so- I think she would do that to everybody. Like if I was her, I like that's every- a lot of monologue. I know, but you got to make them feel bad before you do it. Yeah. Like I would tell you know I would give that monologue to everybody. Like this is why I'm doing this, and then this is why I'm not a serial killer because like I would just yeah. be monologuing to them forever, yeah. <laughs> not getting the killing I'm a done. Very chatty serial killer. I just want to let them know what their problem is. Yeah. This is why I'm killing you. Um, it's all you know. I don't know. Or also maybe because she's done so many kills, like she has sort of like a certain level of rage that's been taken away from her. Mm-hmm. So maybe it's like in the, in the adrenaline come down. Right. She's like, you know, I just, we have to, like, today's, because in the beginning part of it, it doesn't seem like she might kill Alice. And then once she really starts whipping herself up into, like, this, you know, kind of fever pitch, you're like, oh, yeah, oh, you're going to die. Um, so basically, it ends with them having this big fight down at the shores of uh, Crystal Lake. It's and, great. Rolling around in the sand. Yeah, just... like, smashing each other's faces into the sand. It's a, it's pretty good, it's a pretty good brawl. Um, it's, and I, I like that it's like, you know, I think sometimes girl-on-girl fights get to be, like, the sexy thing 
or they're like not taken as like seriously as like guy yeah. on guy fights. And mm-hmm. I'm like, this is a straight, like they're no, straight fight fighting to the death. Correct. So uh-huh. we're just going to go for it, which yeah. I love. No, I do. I do like that too. Um, but basically it ends up with Alice getting the upper hand and coming around with a, with a boat oar. Is that right? Uh, she, well, or is it the, the machete? Fu- the machete. It's the machete. Okay. So she has the machete and she whips around in another slow motion yep. kind of way and chops off Mrs. Voorhees head. I love you get the hands grasping up. What? What's happening? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> Falling out of frame. Falling out of frame and then this i was gonna ask you about this so then she's dead right you got it alice gets in the boat and pushes her boat out to the middle of the lake why do you think that is because like the killer's been killed right so why does she still want i would understand if before you knew who the killer was that's what you would do because like forget about it i'm not going to be in any of this right but why does she do it after the killer's been killed do you think it's just like she's like twang or is there the honest answer is I think she does it so they can have the end scare. They're ending? Okay. I, but you don't think the, there might be like a character motivation behind it where she just wants to get away from all the horror of it? I think maybe she just doesn't know like – What else to do? What else to do and is there anybody else out there? Oh, that's fair. Because she doesn't know – So I she's mean, a really smart final girl. Yeah, because you'd mm-hmm. be like, okay, we assume that she's working alone. But okay. maybe she isn't. Maybe Jason is here. Maybe whatever. And Clever like Alice. I'm just going to like cover my bases. Okay. I'm down. I, think, I think it's a sweet, that's it's a, a sweet move. That's a sweet um, explanation. But one of the one of the criticism I have of her final girlness is she does a lot of like I'm going to hit you with this object and then put that object down and yes, leave. Yes, she does do that. That's a very like Laurie Strode kind of thing where right. you know she kept putting the knife down and we were like, for God's sakes, lady. Yeah, she has a baseball bat in her hand. She has a frying pan in her hand, and she just hits her once and then like leaves. I know. Yeah. So I know you know just mm-hmm. uh, for survival guide tip. Yeah, just. Keep hitting them until they're dead. And just don't put it down. You yeah. can never put it down. Keep even it after you. they're like clearly, clearly dead. Right. Hold on to that thing. Or even head chopped off. Mm-hmm. Like that. that's a good, yeah, just always keep Because we don't know your... what kind of supernatural stuff we're dealing with. You Definitely know? Just... not. Yeah. Um, so then the, the movie kind of does this interesting thing where she goes out and the, the music, it's sort of like dawn the next day. The police have showed up and her boat, her canoe is out in the middle of the lake and it's very idyllic. And the music gets very kind of twin peaks for me oh, yeah. in this moment where it's like, all is well. There's the cops. Right. Alice wakes up and the lake looks like glass. Yeah. And I her was hand that, is just kind of rested in the middle of it. And... It sounded very uh, afternoon special to me. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. Um, I do like in that in that sequence when the, you see the cops come out and they, they, they're yelling to her from across the shore. And mm-hmm. I like that you can't hear them yell. I do. I like that too. It's yeah. an interesting choice. It is. And so it's all like, oh, okay, well, this is end of movie. They're going to... Oh, wait, no. And then um, the sort of mongoloid kind of kid springs out of the lake covered in seaweed, grabs Alice and drags her in the boat backwards. Um, And she wakes up and she's in the hospital um, and the uh, police are there and uh, and she asks if everyone's dead and they are. Um, And she says, what about the boy? And they're like, there was no boy, ma'am. Then he must be still out there. Um, shot of the lake mm-hmm. and then out, out. Um, um, so I went through my first Friday the 13th Jason is not the killer nope. and I totally did not mom. know that and everybody else did and so yeah I was very shocked by that it's a great it's great you yeah. don't you don't really get female killers and especially as brutal as Mrs. Voorhees is mm-hmm. um and you know, having it be from a, like a mom point of view is mm-hmm. interesting and also that she's been that way for like over 20 years yeah. because Jason died in 1957 right. yeah. and this is now 1980. Yeah. So she's just been off in La La Land for a really long time. Just murdering. Um, so uh, the, you know, the, we have the Jason uh, ending, you know, uh, 
I don't want to talk about the sequels of this movie because um, okay. that's a whole other ball of wax. Okay. Um, but I will say that, you know, this, you know, what about the boy kind of thing? Clearly a dream, right? Because yeah. he died in 1957. Mm-hmm. And we have not really uh, introduced any supernatural kind sure. of angles up until this point yeah. with this film. Mm-hmm. So to me, it's a little bit like the tack on ending for Nightmare on Elm Street where it's yeah. like pull the mom through the door and you're yeah. like, oh, you just kind of ruined everything you just did. Yeah. It's a little bit like, I know yeah. you need to have your end scare. I understand that. Yeah. But what is that? Huh? But I think for this one, I think it works a bit better than Nightmare on Elm Street because I think Nightmare on Elm Street really tries to have it both ways. Like it really does undo everything. And I think this is really, to me at least, is meant to be, it was a dream. Right. Because the way she wakes up, I think the sequels yes. undo all that. But I think in this standalone version of the movie, it's meant to be like it was a dream. And if this movie was the only Friday the 13th movie, I'd yeah. be fine with it. Yeah. Because working as a dream is fine. Yeah. What they do with the rest of the films drives yeah. me bananas. Yeah. And uh, we luckily have all of the Friday the 13th up through Jason Goes to Hell, I believe, yeah. in the notebook. So mm-hmm. you'll get to hear us talk about that at some point. <laughs> at some point. Because I got a lot to say about that. Yeah, especially um, number two. Oh, all right. Man. Okay. Um, so we got Gore Factor. Uh, one is not enough blood to fill a Dixie cup. Two, a puddle of blood. Three, enough blood to gross out the average viewer. Four, bathtub of blood. And five, run for the barf bag. What do we give this? Uh, we give this a three for Gore. Okay. I stand by that. I think if we had seen all the kills, it would be a different thing. Yeah. But just getting the, the body afterwards. The all, Kevin Bacon neck thing is pretty gross. Oh, all of the throat slitting is amazing. Yeah. And I think, you know, again, Tom Savini's a master, so he knows yeah. what he's doing. Um, but, I stand by that three. But a three, I think, is fair. Yeah. Um, so then we have our movie rating system, which is chainsaws. Mm-hmm. So one chainsaw, if you're desperate. Two, barely, barely qualifies as a horror film. Three, seen better, seen worse. Four, not too shabby. And five, fantastic oracle. Marion gave this a four, not too shabby. Okay. Julia gave this a five, fantastic article. Really? How do you feel about your five? Looking back, this five surprised me, to be honest. Really? And I was like, wow, really? Did I give it a five? But then it's really iconic and it's really great. And I will say, I think just because the whole Mrs. Voorhees is the killer thing and the score, and even though gore is not my thing, the effects are really incredible. Um I think if your sort of slasher movies is kind of your horror deal, this is kind of it. This movie is a pretty seminal entry into like that kind of horror movie making. So what could this movie have done to make it a five for you? Um, I think I do think that the kids are pretty interchangeable okay. and kind of personality less. I do sort of love that kind of random monologue that Marcy has, which talks about her dream. Do you mm-hmm. remember that when they're at the lake? Mm-hmm. Um, but like, I don't really care who dies and yeah. in what order and how. And so, you that's know, a, that's a fair judgment. You know what I mean? Like, I just kind of think that and I understand that like the movie's not really interested in that. And I think Alice is very clever, but I don't think she has as kind of as much kind um, I don't know, sort of uh, personality as like a Nancy. Right. Um, and no, so, she doesn't. You know what I mean? So she does a lot of things that are very admirable and really cool. But yeah, so I kind of feel like sort of the, some of the character stuff is a bit lacking in this movie for me. OK, I think that's fair. Yeah. So. So, yeah. Uh, so we are Horror Movie Survival Guide. Um, so some tips for this movie. Yeah. I would say um, don't, don't put, put your weapon down. down. Jeez. Uh, I, you know, know that you have to face the villain alone. Mm-hmm. Uh, believe your crazy Ralphs. Yeah. 
would be uh, high on the list. And even after you've killed your main one, extract yourself still from the situation. Mm-hmm. Like I think you, you, to your point, like Alice did the right thing by getting in that boat and getting away. Like that was a clever move, you know? Don't just like wait, don't just, and probably don't run through the woods in the middle of the night uh, to see if you can find help. Like it was probably right. a good move on Alice's part. But I think that it's interesting this movie doesn't, you know, you get the sex equals death, but the drugs and the drinking don't equal they death. They do not equal death. And we, we are, uh, Alice's sexuality is insinuating Mm-hmm. I mean, she's taking clothes off and doing stuff yeah. and she's not punished for that. So mm-hmm. even though that's the whole message of the film, you know, right. sexuality equals death. Right. You know. But definitely sex is worse than drugs. Yes. Yeah. At least that's how this movie rolls. Uh, <laughs> Julia. I just shake so my head. So unhappy about I am, that. man. Those things are great. I like sex and drugs. I really do. I mean, just, but just make sure you're in the right genre. I, I'm Julia Marquesi and I like sex and drugs. Um, so thank you for listening. Uh, you can find us on iTunes and uh, we always love reviews. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and the like. Yeah. And uh, next week, we're very excited to be talking about Alfred Hitchcock's seminal 1960 film, Psycho. I'm excited about this. Psycho, Psycho, Psycho. It's so Good. So good. We're, we're both very excited. Yeah. So we'll see you next week for some psycho action. <laughs> <laughs>